Today's Into the Gloom episode is brought to you by Dead Sea Press. Their premiere anthology, which was edited by J. Alexander, Terror in the Trench, is available now in ebook and paperback versions. Fifteen fantastic authors, fifteen thrilling tales of aquatic and nautical horror. From magic rags to sunken wrecks, from deep-sea sirens to monsters of the Marianas, this collection will crush you. There's even a spooky story included by yours truly. All profits go to the Shark Trust, so you can not only scare yourself 15 times over, but you can rest easy, knowing that you're supporting a good cause. Well, maybe you won't rest easy, but I think you know what I mean. And now? The dark and macabre have intrigued us for years, but are their bewitching powers waning? The old greats such as Poe, Lovecraft, and Hitchcock have long since passed into the void. The masters of the 1970s like James Herbert and George Romero are gone. Stephen King and John Carpenter are in their twilight years. So where does that leave the current state of horror? The future is bright and author Thomas Gloom hopes to unveil this truth by discussing the genre's past and present. Settle back, get comfortable, and remember to leave a light on as you enter into the gloom. Characters, emotions, Villains, mysteries, scares, and a myriad of other parts play important roles in the making of a horror genre story. But where will it all take place? I'd argue that location and setting can really set the tone for a book or film. At times, the location itself can even transcend into playing the role of a character. Case in point, the Stanley Hotel or Hill House. I'd be willing to wager that many of our favorite scary tales wouldn't have the lasting impact if not for their setting and location. Would anyone have remembered the terror if not for the frigid, icy landscape that trapped the characters in? Would Golding's Lord of the Flies have been able to unfold if not for the uninhabited island? How impactful would some of Stephen King's best stories have been, if not for the towns of Derry or Castle Rock? Would Halloween 2 have been able to create so many needle and blood phobias in the minds of a generation, if not for Haddonfield Memorial Hospital? When I was a boy, I went on a few caving trips. 2005's The Descent forever robbed me of any enjoyment from that particular activity. Integral to any spooky story, and sometimes downright creepy, location and setting leave lasting impressions. On today's episode of the Into the Gloom podcast, we're discussing location in horror. I'll be interviewing educator and fellow horror author E.C. Hansen, Join us, dear listeners, as we discuss the power and importance 
of location and setting within the genre we consistently allow to transport us to other places. Welcome, EC. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, man. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm really looking forward to this. As we get into this, you will see how much location and setting mean to me, especially in, in the confines of horror. So you, you picked a good one. Good. Yeah, I thought it was a good one. Well, then, just to kick off this discussion, let me ask you from the start, what made you choose this particular topic to discuss with me today? Um, well, since my debut collection is all the stories have a link to Salem. It's like I'm pumping up my work, but I'm just saying that to kind of look at the work when we had a conversation, it was like, well, that's the, if there's a through line in anything, but in relation to just the genre and stories, I mean, it's, I mean, setting, I don't, I teach a horror themed writing class at college. I mean, so it's basically an argument um, based writing course. And I encourage students to take on, you know, all different things. And I, I personally think the one topic nobody can actually, no argument anybody can make is that setting doesn't matter in the genre. And it's so, it's so crucial. It, it, I mean, I'd, I'd argue that it's everything. Mm. It really is. And like, you know, if you used a few examples, like, I mean, these are like throwback films, but, you know, Steven Spielberg's Duel, you know, whether that's but The Highway. You know, okay, sticking with Spielberg, I'm not even a huge Spielberg fan. It sounds like I'm pumping him up, but like Jaws, and I had a professor at NYU. He was amazing. Like, I didn't necessarily put this read on the film, so I'm giving him all the credit, but, you know, it's a half land, half sea film. And Brody, here's this man, of, you know, our protagonist is afraid of the water, and he's got a, it's like he's trying to fight this land, you know, fight this battle from, <laughs> from the land. Like, hey, let's resolve this problem from the land. And then all of a sudden, like halfway through, you're like, uh-uh, buddy, you got to go out there. You got to conquer your biggest fear and go out there and take that shark down. So, like, to look at Jaws in that manner, I mean, that's everything. You know, that, and, you know, other films, even some films that are quite cheesy, you know, you know you're not going to have, terror train without the importance of the train you're not gonna even piranha and the importance of obviously the water and the camps and obviously the slashers and then using those um locations to their advantage but as it pertains to writing and like i don't know even personal experiences i would tell any writer not that i'm out here trying to give advice to people but all of my work gets better when i have a a, a good handle on setting and it's setting that's going to bring about more conflict. So like the Jaws example is great, but at the same time in my, in the debut collection, I mentioned whether it works for the reader or not, you know, the through line, there's a seven part storyline that that's the only thing that is consistent. Everything around it is random, but it turns into a, a father doesn't want to return to a particular house in Salem. His daughter's not aware of why it holds relevance but if you didn't, but if you don't make those choices as a writer, it doesn't mean you're going to, you're going to crank out something that sucks. But I also think you can get a lot more if you get a handle on why a basement matters to a story, why the attic matters to a story and all that. And like, you know, when you go through life, if you pay attention to your own experiences, like there's a restaurant I won't go to for very personal reasons. And I won't share the reason, but it's not like, oh, they have bad service. It's a very personal reason. Okay. Can I incorporate that into writing? 
you know what I mean? And then what, what's the best thing you could do as a writer? Go, oh, Thomas, the character, for example, <laughs> is terrified, never wants to return to that restaurant. What do you do as a storyteller? You go, I'm doing whatever I can to make sure by the end of that narrative, that's where he's going. So it's just such a great link up to character and the story. And I just think if you want to mind the most conflict, I'm a big conflict person. Um, if you want to mind the most conflict from your story, really think about and devote time. I'm not even a big outliner, but I would say think about setting. No, I, I agree. I mean, you heard in, in my introduction how important and powerful, integral to the story that I believe that location and setting is. And, and yeah, you know, there are a lot of movies, there are a lot of stories that they just wouldn't be the same if there wasn't a strong emphasis on the location, on the setting. And also, I just want to mention you plugged All Things Deadly and then sort of backed off. I just want to let you know, if you want to talk about that as we move forward, go ahead. I haven't read it yet. It is on my TBR. I have read Wicked Blood. We'll talk about that in, in a little bit. But, you know, however you see fit, because I know that initially when we had first touch base and scheduled this interview, All Things Deadly was, you know, what you had out. That's what we were going to talk about. But now, since we're close to the, uh, the, the release of Wicked Blood that just came out, it, it seemed a little better to touch on that. But so feel free to talk about it however you want. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I it's and not even necessarily about plugging, plugging that. I mean, if people discover it because of Wicked Blood or vice versa, whatever order they discover it is, is great. It's just in relation to that book and a collection. You know, when I think of the stories without diving into details about them, like, you know, one story, it's like a candy shop really matters or the roof of a hotel really matters and those things you know so and then another one a character you know who's afraid to go at sea or you know has psychological reasons and you come to find out why and all that stuff yeah it's just everything and if you can kind of insert that into your stories like i'm currently writing something where i'm like well, well i probably should have taken my own advice and made <laughs> the setting matter because i'm kind of like now like oh crap so mm -hmm. yeah i mean Regardless of even about mentioning the debut, I just think the stories and the stories we all remember, the movies we all remember, you know, whether it's even like, you know, you, you know, you like Stephen King, but like misery, like, you know, him being trapped in that location saw, you know, whether you like that movie and the, the, the violence and the, the, that type of villain or whatever, but like settings, everything in that and you know, yeah. the thing, the, you know, the thing. And then you have someone like Tarantino who references the thing for um, the hateful eight. You know, that whole notion of pick a great setting, throw a bunch of guys in a room and then lock the doors and toss away the key. Like it's that's and you're going to get so much conflict. And then if you could p pick a place like the thing, guess what? They're in Antarctica. <laughs> yeah. Can't really can't really run off. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then you got McCready with the helicopter and flight conditions and all that stuff. And then, then, then the radios are down and then, but you're back in that setting and then the weather impacts departure. And obviously that comes up in the shining and everything, but those are really great choices. Yes. And, yeah. and the, the funny thing about, uh, this isn't a knock on anybody, but I just mean those are, if people paid a little bit more attention to setting, and I still need to do this even a bit more, but if they paid attention, attention, attention to the value of setting and what it could do for you, 
it's pretty simple in the shining, you know, that location. I mean, it's a, it's amazing and you'll never forget it, but I just mean the scenario. Okay. Yeah. We're yeah. in an isolated place that nobody could get to. And then the weather's bad. It's like, that's a pretty easy formula if you pay attention and then can you do it without it being like, Oh, Thomas or Eric just want to write another shining, but you can use those same moves to kind of then connect it to what you want to communicate. I just, that's why setting it is everything and it's the best because you know you just pick a place or something that's going to really put your character through hell yeah well you mentioned recreating a, a similar location or setting that was infamous without it being derivative and you mentioned saw i feel like saw does that and Yes, I do. I, I'm not a huge Saw franchise fan, but the first movie is solid. It's a great, great movie. I love the twist at the end. And spoilers for anybody that hasn't seen Saw. I'm about to spoil something at the end. But, um, you know, at, at the end, when he gets up off that nasty, dirty bathroom floor, and that is a shock. But for me, the shot that lingers the most is, in my mind, I feel it's a direct callback to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre when he slams that sliding door shut. And it's essentially the same scene. And when you start thinking about other location and, and, and setting connections, you start to see that there are a lot of similarities there. But something about that metal door sliding shut and you know that this is the end and it's the same with you know with Leatherface when he slams that door you know that it is the end for that person he's got behind the door with him oh man oh that's a great connection I never thought of that one it's a really good one I it just popped into my head when you were talking about it but once again that's that's the power of location and setting because I hadn't made that connection either but when you said it then I it, it went together and yeah, I, it is. It's just, it's so powerful. And I'm, I'm doing similar to you. I'm trying to put a lot more of that into my writing and my current work in progress, which is a, a Southern religious horror novel. There is no doubt as soon as you start reading it, you don't have to get too far. It is very clear that this story is taking place in Alabama. And if you go a little bit further into it, it's small town. You're getting glimpses of the big city, but it's clear that that is on the outside looking. Uh, you're, you're looking out at that, but you're stuck in this small area. And it is, it's powerful. It sets the stage. And if you can just work that in a little bit throughout every chapter, it really does add up. And like you were saying, you're like, oh, with this short story, I wish I could, you know, I wish I had done more. It is hard if you haven't started that way to go back and pepper it in. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't advise. I would actually say you're kind of screwed at that point. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I, I mean, it, I mean, if you do have some realization that, oh, you know, crap, the setting should matter to this and then try and do it. I, I don't think that'll work to kind of go back and do it later, but you know, like other films and um, what was I thinking about? I think, you know, you're fond of the, the descent, right? Mm -hmm. And like, that's another one. Look at that, that, that film where, you know, she's got to conquer grief and then this realize, realization of betrayal and regarding a friend. And that's like a hint of something that happens, but at the same time, it's like, okay, she's got to go through that hell in that underground 
an environment, which, I mean, you even watch that film on screen, you even feel it. I'm claustrophobic. So when I watch that, I'm like, this is like, this is like the worst, but for everything that she went through, it kind of makes the most sense to put them through hell and what location is going to bring about hell or, um, you know, you literally went down to hell, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, then you do. um, Did you see the autopsy of Jane Doe? Yes. You know, like, even the son who just even, even just the basic wish of, I don't know that the funeral home environments for me and then to tell my, communicate that to my dad and whatever, but the whole movie set there and how they use that location and, you know, via you know, the, <laughs> the villain, if you will, which is a very clever way to do it. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's just everything to, and like, I'm not a huge Jane Austen fan, but you look at Northanger Abbey, you know, the gothic horror, if you will, like those elements of using a castle and this and that. And that's so crucial to the storyline. So it just comes down to, you know, uh, that's the only thing. And I'm, it's clear by what you're currently working on. You've thought about this and you're going to probably get the most out of that material because of those choices you made. But when people don't make them, you know, the, like I said, the films that you remember, like Candyman, I'm talking about the original, not the reboot. And I'm not making fun of the spiritual sequel or anything like that. But I mean, the Cabrini Green location is everything. Yeah. You know, the hint at that, it's this divide, you know, like this, or the Candyman legend and all this stuff. And then the divide between the haves and the have nots and this whole history. And then sure enough, you know, they don't just, it's not like a bad essay where you're like, oh, you got away from your main point. Like, it, you got to think of it almost like an essay, like carry that thesis through. Guess what? Cabrini green really matters at the end of that picture. Yeah. yeah. And so that's, that's just the stuff that you have to have in your material. And anytime that I've, it's not even just about getting acceptances or rejections, but every time I look at the material and I feel like if the setting's not firm, if I don't have that on lockdown and it's not connected to, something I could put the characters through. It just usually doesn't work. Yeah. You probably touched on a couple of these already, just as, as we've been going over this, but let me ask you, what are some of your favorite locations or settings from horror? Oh, well, Bates motel is just, Mm. I mean, (laughs) I know it's such a classic with that shower scene in uh, Norman Bates and all that, but just look at how relevant that location is to that film. Um, just the silhouette of that building oh, is oh. iconic. Some, like I said, sometimes sin, sometimes the the location though can be pretty basic. Like if you watch something like Sinister, it's just you take over a house where some incident happened, and basically with those times when you see him in his office, that it's kind of like the nobody go in here because he's going to be drinking and writing and doing research about horrible things. Um, what that room and what it does to him, and um, you look at something like visually a movie that I think is stunning, you know, whether it's people like it or not, like the woman in black, you know, like the, whether it's the marshes or the moors or whatever. And like, then obviously cinematography is huge in that, but like that setting obviously adds to your and enhances the vibe, you know, isolation plus that. And what do you get? Um, Say what you want about the movie itself, but I felt that the location for the nun was really well done too, because you had, the the inner part of the building, but then also the outer part. I don't know if you've seen that movie, but there's a graveyard that plays a, a, a huge role in it. And it's just like, dear God, it's so creepy. 
I, I have my wife and I, my wife and I, it's like a guilty pleasure movie. Like we recognize its faults, but there's something about it that, like you said, the look and everything that you're like, Oh, at least I can appreciate that. I'm sure you've seen it, which is a great location film. Oh my God. And it brings about so much conflict. This is like, it's a real nice film to study session nine. That is so weird that you said that. I'm I'm currently watching it. I started it last night. I got about oh. an hour into it, so I'm going to finish it tonight. Oh but yeah, it is. It's amazing. It's amazing what they were able to do. And let's let's maybe expand on this too before you get too much into session nine, because because yep. you can definitely go into it here. The fact that when you focus on a location or a setting. And you really flesh it out. That gives you as a creator the option to expand upon that. Maybe if you're thinking about a series or like session nine, you can delve into the history. So you've got all these other options while still staying in that location. And, uh, and another thing which doesn't relate to setting, but enhances setting. And this is, you, you know, all this stuff, but not just characters, but ticking clock. And I'm not spoiling, spoiling anything if you're an hour into session nine, but just the notion of outbidding someone for a job, we can do this in four days or five days or whatever the pitch was. Okay. Well, there's three a weeks, clock. then yeah. two weeks and then one week. Yeah. So the, the character's desire to land that job for whatever his reasons are just beyond money or we really need this then you can use that location to put the pressure on those guys and yeah. just to maximum you're gonna you're gonna create more conflict because the pressure's on that we got two days left and this isn't done or whatever it is so it's not just about session nine but then can you put ticking clock can you put not just a brody like character but can you put somebody who's like okay the the villain or the thing I have to go up against is my greatest fear. Not that sharks are for Brody, but the water is. So, you know, can you, can you incorporate those things or can you put somebody through, they've got some family stuff that they've never, they haven't been able to conquer or they have mental illness and then put them in the, you know, uh, hamster wheel of, of emotions and just like really shake the crap out of them. Yeah. Um, you're right. And, and also, that's actually a great point about the history. Look at the overlook, the history there that comes up and you can't to deny it. Like I'm just a big believer in you got to make choices. You got to make choices with your content about what to focus on and what to, what to ignore or what to leave out. Sometimes, you know, re reviewers or something would accuse you of like, Oh, this was a huge mistake. Well, sometimes you can acknowledge that they're right. But if you've made the choice, like it's easy to live with, not like, oh, wow, they came up with a great idea. Damn. But I'm just a big believer in testing out things, not even full scenes, but like putting characters together that you wouldn't think would belong, put them in a setting that you go, how would it, how would that work in this setting? How'd this work at a, at a carnival? How would it work? And then you're just kind of going, these are just bullshit made up. I'm not getting any conflict, but what's going to deliver the most conflict and it's if you're the session nine crew you know give them all their needs and wants and then maybe they have a history between themselves and then there's a history at this place which makes it kind of like a spook fest and then you know dive into the psychological nature of things and then you can then use that like the way that film starts that that the focus on that chair yes I mean, like that, that that immediately that choice 
you know, not even just trying to be like artsy fartsy director stuff, but I as a viewer watch that and go, oh, gross. Like, what is that? And you're like, but using the setting for all it's worth. Yes. And you don't need, you know, Thomas, you write books and whether you've written movies or would ever direct them, it's like you don't need the camera to do that. You can just have a couple of those things. And just if you really think about location, just go, what's going to, what's going to bring about the most conflict and what's going to enhance the story. What's going to make it creepy. What's going to make a reader or a viewer keep going. That's the kind of stuff, but you're right. The, the history is definitely important. Yeah. Have you read a book called Razorblade tears by S.A. Cosby? No, I've, I've obviously, um, been hearing about it my tbr list is like i've got like yeah 15 things which is no excuse but i love when i talk to everybody that there's regardless of what their life conflicts are they're like oh the list keeps growing and then yep. and there's nothing i hate more than starting a book and then getting interrupted and then like but then have like five other books going at once <laughs> never, i never used to read that way but then it's like turns into like access oh this oh i have that book in my truck and then you know I don't know. And then you're like, oh, I'll read this 15 minutes before a doctor's appointment or something. And you're like, oh, so there's no, but what, what were you going to say about it? I, I just recently read it and I just absolutely loved it. I try whenever I'm writing something, especially a longer work, I try to read and watch stuff that has a familiar tone or setting or location. And so with Razorblade Tears being a, a Southern literature fiction novel i was like okay let's let's go with this i've heard a lot about it and anyways i absolutely loved it but it made me think of the the what you had mentioned a minute ago about taking maybe two characters that normally wouldn't mesh well you've got oil and water and then you put them in a situation where they have to stick together and so essentially in his um you you've got a a white guy and a black guy that are having to work together. And normally, you know, sometimes that might not be a big deal. But then as you get into this, the fact that he focuses so much on location and setting, and you realize that you are in the deep South with all of its history, with all of its baggage, with warts and all that is included. And you know that these guys are coming from extremely different cultural backgrounds and they might view each other as the enemy just based off skin color. And so to take these guys and to force them to work together, and I won't spoil why they're working together or what they're doing, but it's just really powerful. And it not only ratchets up the tension, like you were mentioning, but it also gives you an opportunity to, if you choose so as the creator, to watch these characters grow and empathize and see things from a different perspective. And it just, it expands the story. It makes for a richer experience as a reader. And so once again, he he did that oil and water character thing, putting them together, but the location and the setting is what really makes it stick and, and more powerful. Hmm. Yeah, I'm going to have to read it at some point, maybe <laughs> hopefully in like a year, not in like 17. You know? <laughs> yeah. like, okay, you're going to college so I can read. You know, I, there's another film I wanted to mention, to mention only because of, and it's a film I haven't seen, but I thought I'd, not that this director needs a shout out. I mean, if you're in the, the genre, you know who he is, but Ty West, who's getting all the attention right now for X, but he made a film called the innkeepers did you see that 
I don't think so. I, 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 it's, I think it's on my watch list. I can look on IMDb, it's but not, what, what it, about it? I'll, I'll be candid. It's not like a race out and watch film. He makes a really interesting choice at the end. So that's, it's worth watching for that regard in that regard, but location there, he filmed at a hotel I once went to and did some writing because I was like, Oh, it's, it's haunted as you know, haunted AF. And that was called the Yankee peddler Inn. And he filmed there the exact location. Didn't, didn't, didn't go somewhere and dress it up and do his, ver- he actually filmed like all of the rooms and all that stuff. It's like, it's a different type of horror film, but kind of what he gets from that um, with setting and the surroundings and space and session nine, back to session nine for a second, you know, the usage of space in that film, but also space to convey distance between characters. That's why yeah. setting is everything and what it can do for you. And what you just said, obviously said about uh, Cosby's book, just it gives you so much. You just the only challenge is picking the right one. Mm, yeah. 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 And I love what you mentioned about session nine, because they are able to do go both ways because you can have the the massive rooms or just the huge building with the long hallways to keep your characters apart. But then also, once the characters are apart, they're down in the basement, they're in a narrow hallway, or they're digging in, in this hole in the wall that they can only fit their arm in, whatever the thing might be. So you can have the, the wideness and the separation, but then also ratchet it down and add that claustrophobia and you know just play with it. It's really cool. Yeah, no, it's, I'm a big fan of that film. I think, oh, I can't think of the name of it. What is that? It was a, a short short story by Stephen King. And then they made a, a film out of it. It's that haunted hotel room, essentially. 1408. Yeah, yeah. Room. I, for, uh, it's funny. I actually thought of that before we started speaking. I was like, yeah, 1408. That's definitely using location. And you have that, at least on the film, you use that character to just be like dismissive of the whole notion and... Yeah, and you put the skeptic in the room that's haunted. That's a good mix. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's all. It, that, like, that's all it takes sometimes. I mean, that I, you know, not saying it's not that writing's easy. It's just the the challenge of making or believing that a simple choice could actually lead to very good results. It's kind of like a just a mind f, if you will, that. <laughs> that sometimes it can be simple. Yeah, like being stuck in a grocery store in the mist. Yep, no, perfect. But look at that. That doesn't, like if you and I or some other writers were sitting in a room, that's, you know, you could be mentally reaching for so much more when it could just be that simple. Go, no, Um, stuck in a grocery store, stuck in an elevator, stuck in a mine shaft, or like My Bloody Valentine, the mine's crucial to that whole narrative, right? So, and that's another film using the setting, using the history of the town. Yeah, um, yeah. Or like that that Ryan Reynolds movie where he's stuck in a coffin. Oh, buried, right? I didn't yeah. hear about it. Yeah. It wasn't too bad. Wasn't I went bad. into it not expecting much because it's one man in a coffin. But it was, it was entertaining. You know, I mean, you got to get psychological with it, obviously, with anything like that. But yeah, it was, it was enjoyable. So you've, you've shared some of your your favorite locations are setting from horror. And I've got another question. This is actually a listener question that was sent in and it's, it's similar, but uh, it's a little bit different. If you could visit 
personally, if you could visit any location, whether it's real or fictional from any horror story, whether it's literature, film or TV, where would you go and why? Man. Um, you already said you're claustrophobic, so I know it's not the cave from the descent. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I can't believe I mentioned it again, but, um, you know, Northanger Abbey, kind of like a big, big, huge castle would be intriguing to me. Um, I'm not saying it relates to films, but I have a, like, I'd be intrigued to go to like the Lizzie Borden house. Not that that's a huge, big, big, huge reveal, but um, yeah, I don't know. And then, I don't know. I, I wouldn't even say they're necessarily film film references, but um, I'm trying to think of another one. I would, I'd love to stay at the Overlook the way it actually was in the film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I some of those hallways and some of those rooms. My, I mean, Kubrick. My God. I mean, they are just those are some of them are just straight eerie. But I like space and isolation. I like being by myself. So. Um, <laughs> I would like to not suffer the same fate as that man. I think so you, I would. I, I think you might take, take that winter job. <laughs> yeah. I, I, <laughs> now, obviously, if you sign up for that and you're not right and you got your personal demons, maybe not the best choice. But um, yeah, and bring wasps. I think I, could, I think I could hack it without bringing family members to have to put up with my grumpy nature and want my need to write. Like that one scene when she comes in and he's writing is so brutal. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> when oh, you hear he, this, he is so awful to her in that scene. And, and but at the same time, I'm not just making it about my wife, but people have been that have been close to me. Sometimes you could be in a zone and yeah. just the distraction where it could just be a look. But how awful he is in that scene. But I would I would love to stay there. Like I actually there are things I like about The Shining, the TV miniseries, which King kind of approved of. Mm-hmm. that had like a sheen and a gloss to it maybe it's just because it was made about 15 years later that i just couldn't i couldn't get on board with being like the look of the setting is problematic for me in that film it just has a i don't know i can't maybe it's just the difference of film versus tv at the time but um yeah the true overlook with those hallways and the big wheels and the <laughs> The kitchen and the all those spaces in the oh man. I recently, yeah. as in just a couple of weeks ago, finally got around to watching Doctor Sleep. And oh, first time, yeah. Getting to revisit it, it was just powerful. And once again, going to if you if you really focus on the location with with the Stanley Hotel, you've got this place, and there is story. There is the past that you can dig into. But then what King did is he also took it into the future and was able to do that. And he was, you think about somewhere like Derry, it's the same thing. Specifically, if you're talking about it, you've got all that stuff from the past. And now it's been announced, you know, HBO is making a, a TV show and it's a prequel. It's going back in the past. And then just the story, the, the book or the, the movies that have come out for it, it's a, you, you've got the present, but then you also get to go back into the, the past. And depending on how you're looking at it, if you, if you want to say that the, you know, when they're kids, that's the present, then you get to go into the future. But because the, the setting and the location is almost a character in and of itself because of the rich history that gives you those options. Yeah, when I um, 
I mean, this relates to setting. I got, and I, there's some things about Dr. Sleep I don't like, and that's, that's okay. I'm not, you know, and there's plenty of things not to like about everything that's ever been put out there. But um, I remember when I saw that preview and Ewan's character looks through the cracked door. I mean, I got goosebumps. I was yeah. like, oh, shit. I was like, they're really going. <laughs> He's, they're going there. And then I think at the time, I hadn't read Dr. Sleep, but I, I got the audio book and committed to that and then to kind of prep myself. But um, yeah, it just how much it, it can afford how much you can afford you. Somebody asked me a question recently about, um, you know, with the first book being a collection and it's like less than 200 pages. And then the novella I have out now is like a hundred pages. Like, Oh, would you ever write a longer work? And my immediate response was like, I don't really have an interest in it. And that's kind of, I just think I'm stronger with shorter works that even relates to I written plays and none of my full lengths would get produced, but I do a 10 minute and everybody wants to produce it. It's just, you kind of, kind of recognize, oh, you can hold someone's interest for so long and kind of listen to what, you know, your strengths are, or what you are sort of good at. Um, but when I thought about it, I said, well, maybe if I had a strong enough setting and did like a generational, you know, this character at, at 10 and then this character at 30 or this character at 58 or something, whether it's you stay with the same character or different family members, that's how the only way I would be able to generate a big book. And it's the only way I would, it would be interesting to me. I don't see that happening, but like I said, it relates to what you're talking about. It relates to finding a setting that you can, there's a history. How does it carry? How does it impact people? And it's all coming back to how does that one place impact and affect those people's lives um and tell it in a true way but you can't do a book like that without it being like a hotel matters or a victorian home matters or yeah an old factory matters you know so yeah to not to ignore setting i think would be a big time waste yeah i agree <laughs> you mentioned this novella and I recently finished reading it. It's your newest release. It's called Wicked Blood. And overall, I can say it was it was quite the wild ride. And it also fits the bill, though, for this current discussion. So can you tell us a bit about why you chose that particular setting and location? And I'll just allow you to expand on that as little or as much as you want. Yeah, no problem. Um... So Wicked Blood, it's just really the primary focus is on three siblings who are for an incident happens and they're stranded at a isolated farmhouse. So there are some slasher references or references to old horror films, which I mean, some people could take this as a read of or is this like a commentary about how horror films impact the mind? I, I'm not going to I'm not going to answer that. I'm just saying some people could read it in that manner. Why the location? OK, so even though the book is a short period of time, what matters is the incidents that are happening there happening there kind of need to happen without the cops being involved or people knowing about them. So that's why I use COVID as a backdrop. And, you know, I didn't necessarily go, Hey, I want to write a COVID book. And I did stress it's just a backdrop, but the reason I did it. So I work in education and not this year, but last year. So obviously COVID, what, 2020 March, when we got to 
the start of last year, there were parents and, you know, obviously with their students would send kids to school. So you could do like a hybrid. I'm sure this is like the case across the nation, but you could willingly come to school or you could take classes from home. Right. Well, the funny thing that was happening was I kind of felt bad for the teachers and administrators is, so let's just say student A or his parents said, hey, he doesn't have to come to school. I want to keep him away. This, this COVID thing's out of control. I'm gonna, he's going to do schooling from home. So they're like, okay, just sign in every day. Well, then kids stopped signing in and you'd have a week or two go by. So they kind of went off the grid mm. and you reach out to the parents and the parents aren't responding and it kind of created this like what the hell's going on here and i was around that enough that type of energy of like yeah i work with that kid but he never responds he doesn't sign in and then you talk to other teachers and go yeah and then the parents aren't responding i'm not just not about trashing parents these are a few there's a handful of situations where there's no communication kids aren't signing in and a, a good amount of period before you got to really get involved to make like, <laughs> go check, make sure everybody's okay. <laughs> that welfare call. <laughs> yeah. And, or, um, you know, you need to take this seriously, even though it's, we're in a new land with this COVID thing, uh, you still got to do your work and you still got to sign in to get credit for attendance. So after seeing that and seeing the frustration with teachers, I just thought the scenario in this book they could kind of get away with what's happening for a short period of time because of that, those type of situations that existed across the nation, which is, you know, you can, some people were going most of the year and going, yeah, they, Sally never shows up and we're chasing her for the work. And then all of a sudden you get passed through the next grade and you're like, well, I didn't even see that girl last year. Yeah. You know no, I mean? it's, it's, it's believable. And there were a few other things that you did to set it up to help give you some information of how it's believable in terms of their schooling and their parents and how the whole dynamic worked and, and all of that. So no, I know I thought it was believable. It wasn't an issue for me at all. And then um, so that it just relates to, you know, picking that and then picking that setting. I think also the setting matters. You know, I'm going to it's funny you mentioned 14 away. I'm going to give like an actor shout out. So in relation to this, I think there's kind of a cheesy line, but there's a reference about how familiar they are with the space. Like something comes up late in that book where it's like, whether it's the power out or something like, it's like, okay, the fact that they're familiar with this space and other people aren't is obviously to their advantage, but that's the case with anybody. Like if all the lights go out in my place, like I can kind of make do and kind of know where I'm at. Well, if somebody enters and they're not familiar, they're at a disadvantage. Um, yeah. Going back to the descent, it's like the creatures in the descent, they know it, but when the lights go out for the, the, the spelunkers that are going in there, they're out of their element. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I think that was another thing with using that space and the COVID backdrop or at least that COVID and the being away from school and being able to be away from school while this was going down. And quite frankly, there, you know, the early incident in the book, like very early, I just, I just thought everything needs to all this, this isn't, we can't leave this place. It's got to all, it's got to all start here and it all end here. Like status quo has changed big time. 
but it's just going to blow up and be forever ruined. And, but getting away from that space, you know, if the characters, the siblings took off, that's not interesting. Yeah. And you, you know, like, I, I think you did a good job too, because one of, one of the characters does leave for a little bit, but the entire trip is anxiety ridden in terms of, you know, how is this going to work out? How many questions are going to be asked? Who's going to look into, you know, whatever the thing might be. And so you also, you peppered it in of like, they can leave. They have the opportunity if they want to, but these are all the reasons why that wouldn't make sense for these characters. Yeah. And, and look at, you know, I'm talking about my book, but I'm, I'm, I really am stressing how important this is to, other people's material, the material that you and I watch and love is our connections to family. You know, damned if you do like, it's like shit. Sometimes you're who you're related to and how it could drive you nuts. And then, but but then the emotional ties, even if they do drive you nuts and are harmful, you'll still give them a break. You'll still give them a pass. You'll still reach out and be concerned about them. And then, you know, the power of yeah, not just a farmhouse, but the power of a house and growing up in a house, it doesn't need to be haunted, but I just mean the power of that and the weight of that is like, you know, what's the alternative? You uh, race off into a bunch of question marks or stay with what's comfortable or an environment that's comfortable, even though a lot of hella shit's happening um, and just try and hit the reset button go let's figure this out in our home and this is this is you know who we are but then like i said you have some characters uh a scenario in that where some people from the outside start start showing up and then are dismissive of the place and that becomes like an attack on the family themselves which mm-hmm. you know nobody wants to have their clothes or their appearance or someone who go by your house and go what a shithole but that's and then that protective part of them that pops up. So treating the home also like a character, you know, not just an incident, you know, a place where all these horrible things happen, but also a a place that's like, no, we grew up here, like ugly or not, this is who we are. This is our, this is our home. And, and obviously the behaviors and everything spiral out of control, but, you know, I could look at my life or people that I know, and, you know, you look at them like, why don't they, break up with that person. Why don't they? And they keep staying in the hell they're in. So this was kind of that type of book to kind of explore that in a way of like, a lot of people don't, don't escape. They kind of, you know, it's at that hole. If you're going through hell, keep going. <laughs> That's yeah. really one of those things here. And I just think with the relationship and the care, at least the lead character Marina has from her brothers, despite their behavior kind of going out of control is, like, I think I can kind of, I think I can get a handle on this and not get them in trouble. And then, and then it just obviously gets crazy and, you know, but then look at her idea to try and turn the place, you know, their lack of money, come up with an idea using the setting to try and generate money so they can eat. So that's just an example of not tooting my own horn, but that was an example where you know, as a writer, I'm going, okay, good. You use a space in a different way to give it more meaning. That's not yeah. just, a, that's not just a house, it's just not just where they live, but like, 
it should be an indication of the kind of the kind of place it looks like for her to come up with that idea that it could work. Yeah, and it I mean it it emphasizes what we're talking about here, the importance of setting and location and how it can often be the glue holding people together, the tie that binds when there might be a lot of other things going on that would normally push them apart. And you know, I just I, I I'm constantly going to keep coming back to this location and studying because it's in my blood but being southern when you start talking about the south when you start talking about and for anybody listening outside the u.s i'm talking about the american south but when you're talking about the deep south it's history is complicated and oftentimes just ugly just butt ass ugly and despicable but at the same time, there's a lot of good there. I mean, when you when you, you you can't really talk about the Deep South without having a discussion on race and racism. And on one hand, you can see some of the most notorious and despicable examples of racism in the South. But then at the same time, you you can't talk about the civil rights movement without looking at the roots and its beginnings that were in the South. And sometimes even certain locations in the South can have a mixture of horrible instances and very compelling and, and, and interactions that would knit a community back together. Whereas another event might've torn them apart. I get what you're saying. You know, one of, there's, there's a periodical called The Bitter Southerner. And one of their big pushes is just a, a statement that says better South, better world. And it's sort of just admitting that the South has not always been better. The South has not always been good with these sorts of things. But if we can start here, if we can make a better South, then that can have a ripple effect and make a better world. And I think that's really powerful. And once again, it's all tied to location. And so I can even be here living now in Oklahoma, but my heart is still in the deep South. And when I read things, when I listen to things, when I talk to people that are from the deep South, I'm automatically, you know, like, I feel like they are part of my team. When I hear someone say y'all, I'm just like, that is, that's my, that's my person. And we can have a completely different background, different life experience, but that location and that setting is something we can relate to. Wow. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I got on my soapbox there. <laughs> no, I like the, I like the periodical. I like that approach. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. I actually, uh, I'll, I will plug them. The Bitter Southerner. Check them out. There's a podcast you can listen to, but I actually just signed up for a, a membership. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to be showing off a new shirt and some stickers and some periodicals here soon once they come in. I'm really, I'm, I'm psyched about it. Let's maybe shift a little bit. I, I know that normally for our listeners, they expect or have come to expect longer episodes, but I can go ahead and say that this is going to be the shortest episode of the Into the Gloom podcast because you got a baby daughter who is going to be waking up soon. So I'm, I'm sort of pumping us along and down the track. And I want to go ahead and take you to a place I call the Carpenter Shed. I bring all of my guests here, and essentially it's a place for me to corner you and ask you, what is your favorite John Carpenter movie and why? I mean, I'm, it's, 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 it's got to be Halloween. I, it's just, just no way around it. I mean, I, I love the thing. I can, I can watch the, hang, the thing a bunch of times. But Halloween, 
I think uh, I personally wish that existed and there was nothing else. Mm. And I'm, I'm not, I don't mean it to start that way. It's like, Hey, I'm going to slight the other ones. I don't mean it like that. I just mean, I just think that film is absolutely perfect. And I think why I marvel at it, you know, I'm, that movie came out in 70, I think it came out in 78. That's when I was born, but I probably yeah. saw that. I saw that in the mid eighties and it just left a big impression on me. And it just was one of those things that I kept coming back to. And then when I got a little bit older, I remember putting that on and just like, but then just watching it a few times in a row. And I was just kind of like, why am I doing this? I mean, I had an interest in film and all that, but it was just like, his choices and then knowing what was out at the time. And then also going like, this is such a game changer. Yeah. You know, and I know obviously with what I do uh, for a living, or at least teach that part-time class related to horror, you know, I've come to discover obviously the impact and he's Carpenter's conceded this, the impact of black Christmas on, you know, the POV usage or whatever, but his usage of foreground and background in that film is incredible to me. The, the, the walks with the girls, the use of like the way he handles the sidewalks, the way he builds up the Myers character and just the, you know, Loomis and everything. And I, I can't, it's so funny. I don't, I don't even think this is a trick question, but I always, whenever I show it to the college kids, they're essentially kids. Um, I'm always saying, what's the interesting thing about the ending? And of course I say that in a better way. Um, and they never, 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 never talk about this Carpenter choice, which is, which I just fucking love it. I fucking love it so much is when Loomis shoots Myers and he goes off, you know what I mean? Over the, whether it's the railing or the balcony, if you will, and lands. And then he has the little line, the little bit with her. But when he notices that Myers is gone, I just, I mean, I've just seen, Santa, I can't pick on specific movies, but maybe I just feel like this would be a note in a class. And just because I went to NYU and you'd get some of these crap notes where it'd be like, oh, well, how come he doesn't say that or share out loud that Michael Myers is gone? And I just love that she is not clued in. And it's just for it to be a film and it's just, you know, you have like a firm ending. I, I'm so blown away by that choice because it's not even like, I don't know. I, you know, there could be a temptation there to, you know, give him a line that's interesting. Like, oh shit. Like maybe in the late seventies, he's not going to be like, oh shit. (laughs) or anything. But it it could easily be super corny too. He could have been like the boogeyman lives. And it's just like, no, (laughs) And that's, uh, I would love to know or read something to know the, the process for, you know, those choices. And maybe they, they wouldn't be included in a book, but I just love the absence of that. And then we just move to the camera shots of, you know, the stairwell and the breathing and all that stuff. And then, you know, that notion that you can't kill evil and all that. I mean, I just love the transition to that type type of ending, I think it, I think it's flawless. Yeah, no, it's it's for me. It's a one of the few perfect films. I love it. I give it a ten out of ten. It's my favorite horror movie of all time. And you you mentioned the setting and the location, and for him to be able, it, it was movie magic. He was able to use movie magic to take a neighborhood 
in California in the summer and make you believe that it was a Midwestern town in the fall. And he got away with it. And he got away with it. Yeah. And and it's weird, as cheesy as it sounds, that obviously the movie's called Halloween, but also that special, that special notion of like, there's no movie I want to watch more to get me into the mood. Like when we like October rolls around, I'm like, to put that on i mean it, it's just so much nostalgia but so much love for the yeah. holiday itself yeah and you know we've seen plenty of films that have used that holiday and this and that but that movie in so many ways it's it the movie actually <laughs> at this age i appreciate it so much but it makes me, <laughs> it makes me sad like looking back on a time of like oh man like there are so many good horror movies obviously that have come out but I don't know that there's ever going to be another film that makes me feel that way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the dread and foreboding that just ratchets up as you go and the lack of a reveal of the killer of the shape, just little, you know, glimpses of him behind the car, glimpses of him from the neck down, All, all of this stuff is just, yeah, it's it's perfect. It's great. I, I love a slow burn. And that one not only was a slow burn, but as you are slow burning towards the horror, you come to really care about the characters. Yes. All right. Well, allow me then to take you by the hand from the carpenter shed into the king's corner. And let me ask you, what is your favorite Stephen King book? And also, what is your least favorite Stephen King book? Okay, favorite one, I, there's probably there's going to be, a, I think, a link to these. He may have been Bachman for both of these, which is ironic that I'm going to say I hate one and love the other. But I, the long walk had the biggest, made the biggest impression on me. I, I don't even know, if, has that ever been turned into co- TV or film content? I don't think it has. I No, I don't think so. I think it's currently being looked at someone's got a script out there that would be so fascinating on film because of the non-stop movement i mean that could be a real tense experience i just i remember reading that book when i went to like the i'm in connecticut i remember going like as a probably 16 year old or 17 year old just going to the mall and it was like fye had books as well as movies and i just remember buying that and just i mean i flew through that book i couldn't believe it I was so blown away by it. And I was obviously a fan of his stuff. That one, I just, I, oh my God, that was like, I was addicted. <laughs> I was addicted to that book, yeah. um, which is like the, the greatest compliment. I mean, I, I've read some dense books by other authors and whatever. And, you know, you, the, the achievement of getting through big books and, you know, you have your, but there was something about that book. It really left an impression on me. It also kind of really creeped me out um road work is the film or the is the book i've picked up multiple times and tried to and i don't i don't know that i get much farther than i did the previous time Mm. and i don't i can't put my finger on it i just and i hate to say it because i've you know my background with reading and watching films i'm a very very patient i'll watch like a four-hour scandinavian film no problem and not complain and it's a slow burn and about a marriage falling apart i'm like oh this is <laughs> this is fine um but road work i can't I, and i i could go to like a hotel by myself 
and just bring that. And I know I won't get through it. I can't, I can't. And maybe it, you can convince me that it gets so much better or you should or hang with it. It's just, they're just things in life. Content wise, they're just, I like the description on the back. I'm always like, why is this? Why can't I get into this? And I just don't, I can't explain it. I mean, mm. in my yeah. true test, if I get through it at some point, but if you've got a convincing reason why I should. No, not really. I mean, I have read it. I didn't hate it, but I, I don't remember much about it. Um, I, I feel that similar things were done with the short novella that was included in Nightmares and Dreamscapes. I think it opened it, uh, Dolan's Cadillac. I felt that that did similar things in terms of anger and revenge and quote unquote road rage. And it, it pulled it off a lot better. Yeah. Have you read that one? Don't, no, no. It's in Nightmares and Dreamscapes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I believe it's the opening one. Okay. As we wrap this up, let me ask you, what are three location-centered horror books that you want to recommend to our listeners? Oh, boy. Let's see. Have you read anything by Patrick Moody? I haven't. I would check out, I would tell people to check out Creatures of Clay. That would probably be why, I don't want to say why, it's probably middle grade horror. Without spoiling anything, it kind of has like a Stranger Things like feel, but it used these, uses these underground caves and pits in there. And that just, the way he uses that um, was pretty interesting to me. Um, so I would recommend that. Uh, Ruth Ann Jaggy for New Girl's Patient, just the use of like the basement, the cellar aspect and what she does with that to credit what I talked about at the top to generate conflict. I think that's worth looking at. And I think her novella is like 40 pages. So you can, it, it goes quick. I think anybody could read that in 25, 30 minutes. So that's not a big ask. And it's a, a great author that you could just knock, get used to her work and knock it off uh, your list. And then, well, it's graphic novel. I'm not, it's been a little while since I've, um, I've read it, but Ito's Dissolving Classroom, probably just because I work in education and how he would, how he, he's operating within that world. Now he's very, I mean, the visuals obviously be so character focused that maybe somebody could pick that up and be like, oh, and like, oh, I wouldn't say setting is so huge in that, but I'm, that one kind of, if I had to recommend his work or anybody to take a chance on his work, that's an interesting one, but I'm probably biased because of my education background. All right. So Creatures of Clay, The New Girl's Patient, and dissolving classroom. Yes, correct. I'm actually I, I have Ruth Ann scheduled to come on. Oh, nice. Few episodes. So yeah, I'm I'm excited yeah. to chat with her. All right. Well, then I guess for our listeners, do you want to share where can they find your work? Where is the best place for them to connect with you? I'm pretty bad at Twitter, um, so probably not there. I think everybody, well, not everybody, but people that put out my books wish I was better at Twitter. Um, so I am Haddonfield Hanson, like Haddonfield, like in Halloween. So mm -hmm. yeah, Haddonfield Hanson on Instagram. So that's the one I use the most. I'm occasionally on Facebook, but Haddonfield Hanson at Instagram. I have an Amazon author page. So I, I think pretty sure the link is in my bio on Instagram, if I'm not mistaken. Um, 
but you know, you'll see the covers for the two books I have out. So you can kind of do the math. If you put my name in all that stuff, you should find it. So yeah, that's kind of how you, how you find it. And um, something I just usually reach out or, or tell people if they've read either book or want to, they could reach out and ask me any questions they want about it. I'm pretty, pretty open person. So if they've, Oh, this thing, and this happened in winter, you know, wicked blood, or you, this like, I'm pretty open. Or you want to ask about, you know, I like when people, I don't know, I want to say like seeking favors, but you know, my first book got published because I reached out to pretty, you know, 10 esteemed authors and about three or four gave me great advice. So, mm. you know, I'm not putting myself on par with any of those people, but I've know plenty of people that I've made a switch here on whether it lasts, but this switch from playwriting screenwriting to this. So um, I think it's just kind of worth it to, you know, offer that to anybody. If like, Oh, I was doing poetry or, or romance novels, but I wrote horror. Like, what should I do? Like, cause you never know who's going to discover your stuff. And if they're into writing themselves and, you know, you want to be helpful to people. So I usually extend that to people or book references or movie references, but I'm actually better with horror movies than even horror books. So, yeah, I noticed that through this discussion, we talked a lot more about movies, which I'm completely <laughs> fine with. I, uh, film was my first love. And okay. so, yeah, I'm, I'm good with talking about horror in its various formats. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Films. Yeah. Film. It, it's just, you could take a lot of, of, away from film and, you know, you're going to have your critics out there, which will happen to me. All oh, this plays like a film, I'm like, okay, well they can see it as they read it. So I don't think that's a bad thing, but you yeah. know, you're always going to have those things or, Oh, this could be a, this could be a screenplay. And you're like, so well, I don't know what that means for my fiction, but okay. Like you just, you got to take it. And, uh, but yeah, I can't deny the, the movie influence. And whenever I teach that horror class that I mentioned, I always use different films each semester. So by I keep broadening my the films I've been exposed to so that's all but session nine man you've got to go knock that out yeah I will I'm gonna knock it out tonight (laughs) all right right. well EC Hansen thank you for entering into the gloom all right thank you so much we hope this episode haunts your nightmares it's been an honor to scare you be sure to subscribe and also follow Into the Gloom podcast on Instagram for news on upcoming offerings. Until we meet again, remember to leave a light on. <laughs>